Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 7. These are probably some of the most encouraging words in the entire Bible on prayer. We are going to talk about prayer, and I hope you don't feel an ounce of guilt or shame in here today as we read these words. Hear this. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. That seems pretty plain, but if that wasn't plain enough, he goes on and says this. For everyone who asks, receives. And to the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. For this is the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, uh, not just for the instructions that you give us in your word to come and pursue you and to pray to you, God. We thank you for the promises, the incentives that are latched on with it, God. I pray that you would encourage us to be a church. You would encourage us to be individuals that ask, that seek, that not, that continue to approach you and realize that Uh, There's nothing but good that can come from approaching you, Father. I pray you would change and shift our expectations and our actions would follow. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you take your seats? Expectations shape your every action. Your expectations shape your every action action, right? From eating to the movies that you go to. What's the first thing that we do when we're getting ready to go to a new restaurant or to a movie that just came out? We go online. We look for a review, right? Because here's what good reviews do. They give us proper expectations of what we're getting ready to do or not do. And when I say good reviews, I don't mean positive ones. Sometimes uh, negative reviews can be very good because they're helpful. They keep you from wasting your time or your money. We're willing, before we step into something, to have somebody or some bodies that we trust tell us if we should go there or not. So whenever I'm getting ready to go to a movie, what I'll do is I'll look for two things. A lot of reviews and then a high score on the reviews. Because if I'm going to spend my $67 on a movie ticket and a small popcorn, I want to make sure that it's worth it. If I'm going to act, I'm wholly going to trust somebody else and I just want to make sure that they're trustworthy. While good reviews are helpful, hear this, bad reviews, and by bad, I don't just mean negative. I mean inaccurate. Bad reviews are harmful because they rob you of joy. People give you an expectation that a restaurant or a movie is great, and you spend your money or time or calories if you're trying to watch your weight, and you, you go there, and you leave disappointed. Or people tell you, don't waste your time someplace, and you don't go, and you only find out in hindsight that it was a great, and you missed out on something amazing. Experience shape or every action expectations. Um, And so when it comes to good and bad expectations, movies, restaurants, those are one thing. You can get your time back. If you go to a bad one, 
uh, or one that's not as great as folks said it was, like I went to last night, it's fine. Life goes on. I want to talk about something that's a little more costly uh, if our expectations aren't right. And what I want to talk about is what the text talks about, and that's prayer. Right? A lot of times when we come to prayer, we'll sit here and we'll say, I know I need to pray more, and we'll try to come up with a routine, a regiment, and we'll immediately go to the point of action. This is what I need to do. I should pray more. I don't pray as much as I should, and we'll completely neglect that maybe the problem isn't our action, but it's our expectations. And so here's what I mean by that. We're all in a room here, a Christian church, on a Sunday morning, so I would imagine that 99% of us here in the room have tried our hand at prayer at one point in time. I've also been a part of churches long enough to know as soon as you talk about prayer, uh, it's very often that anybody feels like they pray as much as they should. Why? I don't know you, but I would guess that you've had at least one of four experiences when it comes to prayer. Here's the first one. You've prayed, and everything that you've prayed for has gone on exactly like you hoped that it would. So prayer for you feels like a lamp, and God feels like a genie, and it works, and it's powerful, and you have the absolute utmost confidence in prayer, and you always pray. You never struggle with prayer because every one of your prayers have worked perfectly. Okay, I don't imagine I'm describing many of us in the room, so maybe you fall into one of these last three. You pray, and you feel like nothing happens. It's like you send a letter to God, and you go back to your mailbox, and you see that same letter with return to sender on the front. And so you come to just feel that God is indifferent really doesn't care. Prayer doesn't change much. Why bother? Maybe you pray, here's the next one, and nothing good happens. That when you pray, it seems like it's not only that you don't get what you want, but you get all the things that you actually didn't want. So you pray for peace and you get more problems. You pray for healing and hope, and you get more heartache. You pray for joy, and it seems like God takes everything from you that makes you happy. So you don't see God as somebody that's just indifferent. You see God as somebody that's irritated with you, indignant, mad at you, so you don't pray. Or you may observe and sit back, and here's the third one, it seems like better things happen to people that don't pray. So I pray, and I don't get anything from God, or I don't get anything good from God, but I know they don't pray, and they get everything that I want. They work, I pray, I'm not getting what they have, why bother? And so functionally, we pray less, or we just become prayerless because I think when it comes to prayer, what stands in the way of these prayer lives that don't read a text like this with skepticism is that I think you and I may have become accustomed to expecting nothing good from God when we pray. So was skeptical about Matthew 7, was skeptical about the benefit of attending prayer meetings, was skeptical about the benefit of starting prayer times with our friends or family. Once we start them, they seem to slip our minds and we don't maintain them. So our prayer lives really tend to become, uh, we kind of treat God like the efficient at a wedding reception. Let's bring them in to bless the food and let's get them out of the way. Does that describe any of us here in the room? 
If it does, how do we, how do we fix this? How do we fix our prayer lives? Not just so that we can pray more, but so that we can experience what comes at the end of prayer. I think we change it, hear this, not by just trying to fix our actions, saying that you should pray more, but changing our expectations. And this is what Jesus does. All right. Sometimes when I'm trying to set my expectations for something, I said this at the front, I'll go to reviews that have a bunch of folks that have reviewed and a bunch of folks that give good ones. Because I want to make sure that I don't put my trust just in one person because they may be wrong. Here's where that philosophy goes out of the window, right? Uh, Jesus is going to be one person that is going to give this message on prayer, the reason why we can put our trust in him, and the reason why as Christians we put our hope in anything that he said is because he rose from the dead, right? So if anybody else, if you know anybody else uh, that died, that really, really died, stayed in a grave for three days and rose from the dead never to die again, um, then you can pretty much take their word on anything that they say. Jesus is somebody that comes in, and as he talks about prayer, he gives some of the most encouraging words on prayer, and that's this. Look, if your prayer life is ever going to change, you've got to move from expecting nothing from God or you've got to move from expecting nothing good from God to know that as we pray, what Jesus says here in God's word is that to those that pray, to those that ask, seek not, to those that humbly approach God, nothing but good comes from approaching God. It's not that nothing good comes from God. Nothing but good comes from God. And, and here's the first thing that he does. Here's the first thing that he brings it up. As you pray, the first thing that you have to do is we've got to come and actually expect something good from God. You have to expect something good from God. Verse 7, it starts off and says this. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. He starts off and gives those three words, ask, seek, knock, ask, seek, knock. And a whole bunch has been made about trying to say, all right, what does he mean by ask? And what does he mean by seek? Or what does he mean by knock? I think that he means the same thing. This is a thing that you call the rule of three where you say three things, but you really mean this one thing, right? So when somebody says, do you want the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, it's not meant for us to parse out all three. It's just meant to say, oh, they're saying that we want truth. So is he saying, no, ask, seek, knock. It's not for us to spend our time trying to say, ask, seek, knock. It's, no, no, this is all an approach to God. It's this progression, this intense uh, uh, approach to God. My daughter, before she could unlock the door to her room, we've got this little Nest camera in her room. And uh, so she'd wake up at night and she would call out and she'd, she'd say, Mom, Dad. She'd get out of her bed and walk to the door. She'd seek us, right? Mom, Dad. Then, then she would knock on the inside of the door and would say, Mom, Dad, it's me, Ava. Mom, Dad, it's me, Ava. Ava. She's asking, seeking, knocking. She's approaching. It's this progression. But it's not just this progression that he tells us. These words are in what's called the present imperative, which means it's an action that starts now and keeps on going. So this is better translated, uh, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. That in Scripture, persistence in asking for the same things is not a sign of unbelief. It's actually a sign of belief. It's you saying that, that unless God comes and does something, I'm going to be out here in the cold. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to stand at the front door 
And I'm going to keep on knocking and ringing the doorbell. Because I know that I don't have a key. It's saying that those that really expect God to do something great, people that expect good from God, do you know what they'll do? They'll keep on. They'll be persistent. They'll ask, seek, and knock. People, hear this, that don't expect God to do good, they'll ask once and leave. They'll knock once and leave. So expecting God to do good, when I say that, what I'm not saying is just sit here in a room and think about it and try to see, all right, I expect God, I want to have faith. It, those faith, that, that, that faith is meant to come with works, persistence, and expectations. Hear this. God, there are very good gifts that God has that he gives without us asking. And those are the things that you and I take for granted. Breath in the morning, sunshine, rain, right? God gives those, and we take them for granted all the time. What this text is trying to help you and I see is that uh, there are also very good things that God has that he will not give unless we ask. Why is that? Because if we get those things without asking, then we'll think that we were the cause of those things. When those works begin that we're begging for God to do, we'll think that we brought it. So that when it comes to trying to to sustain it, We'll spend all of our time trying to sustain it, and we'll be filled with the very anxiety that Jesus was trying to free us from. Ask, seek, not. Expect something good when you come to God. Let me just clarify what this text is not saying and what it is saying. It is not saying that God is a genie. It's not saying, hear this, in an absolute sense, that everybody that prays, and if you really pray with enough faith, you'll get exactly what you want. Do you know why it doesn't say that? Because if it said that, like John Stott would say, it would turn prayer into magic, God into a genie, and you into Aladdin, his master. And you don't want that. You don't want God to give you everything that you ask for. Do you know why? Because there are times when you have power to get things, and you get them, and you say, I shouldn't have got that. You know you're lactose intolerant, and you just couldn't keep your hands off that ice cream. And after you got it, and you thought you enjoyed it, you said... I shouldn't have got that. Imagine if all of God's power was at your disposal to get what you want. You don't want that. You do not want your children to have everything that they prayed for. Do you know what the world would be like if children got everything that they prayed for? So, look. That's not what this text is saying, that we get all the things that are right in our estimation. Here's what it is saying. It's saying that you and I should expect something good from God. What does he mean by good? There's a lot of things in the world that we define as good. What Luke does, Luke and Matthew, as they're writing these gospels, both of them have a lot in common. Some of the passages of prayer that they use are exactly the same, but sometimes what Luke does at the end is he adds this little phrase that can help us understand how we, sh- we should see this. So Luke chapter eleven thirteen. here's how he ends off this passage, and he says this, if then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, hear this, will the heavenly father give And he doesn't just leave the generic good things, but he fills that in. The Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Here's how we're to think of this section right here. It is not just a standalone thought on prayer. 
It comes in a context. Here's the context that it comes in. The Sermon on the Mount, this part in Matthew that we've been in for the past few months. Look, Matthew chapter 5, 17 and Matthew 7, 12 form brackets. As Jesus starts off with this instruction, here's what he says, Matthew 5, 17. He's going to say these words, look, don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. Uh, Can you put that on the screen so we can all see it? Uh, I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Matthew 7, verse 12 at the end, it says this, therefore, whatever you or want others to do for you, do also the same for them, for this is the law and the prophets. This section is Jesus saying, no, no, look, this is what I came to do in the world, and at the end, this is what I hope that my children would do in the world. So all of this from Matthew 5 to 7 is about how God wants us as Christians, to live in this world that's counter to the way that our world lives, that's counter to the way that we feel on the inside. He's giving us the recipe to human flourishing, and here's a few of the things that he says. This is what he calls us to do. I'm just going to recap. He says, if you're ever going to flourish in the world, you've got to change the very thing that drives you at your core. How difficult it is, is it to change our appetites for things that we like or don't like? And he's saying, you have to change your spiritual appetite. He's saying, you shouldn't hate people that deserve your hate. You shouldn't lust after the beautiful. You should forgive a whole lot in marriage. You shouldn't lie when under pressure. You should love your enemies. You should pray for those that persecute you. Don't chase validation from people's opinion of you. Matthew 6, like we talked about a few weeks ago, he's actually going to look at all of us who struggle with worry, and he's going to say, don't worry. You shouldn't worry. And if you're anything like I am, you know how impossible that command is to keep. It's kind of like when you were a kid and you were crying and your parents would say, stop crying. And you would look and say, "Um, I don't know if crying was enjoyable to you when it was a kid. It's not enjoyable to me. If I could stop, then I would, but I can't. So he's going to tell us, don't worry, which seems like an impossible thing to do. How are we going to do all of these things that are impossible? Ask, seek, knock, pray, seek God, ask him to do the things that we can't do to give us that good thing, which is his spirit inside of us that would lead us towards this path of flourishing. It's it's something more than coming to prayer just to bless meals and ask for God to forgive us of our sins. J.C. Ryle is going to put it like this. You know people that are Christians, and it seems like every time you get around them, they grow like weeds. They just become better and better people as time goes on. And then you know people who have claimed to be Christians for a long time, and their life doesn't change, or as time goes on, they seem like they're actually worse and worse. And he says, what's the difference? Prayer. Hear this. The good spirit loves to be asked. And those who ask most will have most of his influence. Prayer is the surest remedy against the devil and besetting sins. That sin will never stand firm against which is heartily prayed against. What he's saying is this. If persistence is belief and expectation, what are you believing God for right now in your life? Are you stuck in unbelief and you feel like, God, I just can't muster up the faith to believe in you? Are you angry all of the time? Just every little thing sets you off and you can't get better and be joyful. 
Is there somebody that you find it absolutely impossible to forgive that you just can't? You try to think about your own sin and think about what God has done for you, but what comes into your face all of the time is the hard things that they've done. Do you not have any peace? Do you constantly feel confused about the best way to move forward in your marriage, with your spouse, with your friendships, with your kids? Are all of those things that are constantly on your mind, do they ever come out of your mouth to God? If there was a journal of all of the concerns that you had and somebody just kept a running log of every complaint that you had with life or with yourself, would there be a corresponding prayer to go along with each of them? What this text is inviting you and I to is to expect something good from God. To expect that if we actually pray, actually ask for him to do these things, that he's going to do them. I believe that there's so many good things that God wants to do, not just in your life, but in the life of this church, in this community that we are involved in. And, and, and he's just waiting. He's just waiting because he knows that it won't be good for you or us if he just does them without us asking because we'll think that we got them ourselves. So he's, he's waiting and he's saying, ask, seek, not ask, seek, not keep on asking, seeking, knocking. We've got to come, got to learn to expect good things from God. There's this story of this man who... Um, found himself in a church in Scotland, and I'm just going to read it right here. He said, "Um, I lived amongst a group of world Christians in Scotland. For two hours every Saturday night, 60 or 70 gathered to pray for the worldwide progress of the gospel. Even after praying for the world, the pastor would stand up at the end and lament the fact that there was some country they hadn't prayed for. What he says is this, back then, it was typical for them to thank God for the way he brought down the Soviet empire. From the way they prayed, it was clear they believed that their prayers actually had something to do with it. I was tempted to pull one of them aside and say, you know, it was a little more complicated than that. The global economy the arms race, the spiritual bankruptcy of communism, it took more than your prayers to pull down the Berlin Wall. I was tempted, but I knew better. Who's to say what part, of a, what part a praying church actually plays in world affairs? To go to a prayer on a Saturday night was to know what was going on in the world. The prayers of God's people really are at the heart of what God is doing. And when the true history of the world is finally written, we'll almost certainly discover that Christians, like the one in Scotland, had a profound influence on world events. Do You see, when we really come to expect good things from God, and we get those good things that we pray for in our lives, do you know what it does? It broadens our scope. That now when we watch the news at the end of the night, when we scroll through our timeline, we are not driven through despair at all of the things that go on in the world that we don't have the power to address. Instead, we can scroll through all that, see the problems of the world, and be filled with hope because we have the ear of somebody that has the power to address all of those things. And our lives are ones that are marked by hope which is such a sharp contrast to the world that we live in where everybody's list of complaints are long and their prayers are short. One of the best words that we see in verse 8 is this. Look, for everyone, for everyone who asks, receives. That word 
everyone comes from this Greek word, and here's what it means. Everyone. All. Indiscriminate. All-inclusive. That all who humbly come and approach God can expect nothing but good to come of their approach to God. You may say, well, John, I want that, but why would God answer my prayers with good things? Because I know me, and if God is really God, then that means God knows me as well. And if we're honest about who we are on the inside and who God is, then you would be left to say, God has no obligation to do good to me. Why would he answer me? And I would say, you're right. And that's the best news. The beauty of this passage, hear this. The beauty of God's goodness doesn't come in God's obligation to do good to you. It comes in the fact that God has zero obligation to do good to you. And he roots his promise, hear this, Answered prayers are rooted in God's goodness, not yours. Answered prayers find their root in God's goodness, not yours. Back when I was in school 17 years ago, I had to apply for these loans. So they had loans that my name was the only one on the name, uh, or loan, but then they had these loans called these plus loans, and they were parent-backed loans. And what that means is they would look at me and say, you're 18 years old, you have no credit, I know you're trying to go to school to get a job, but once you get done with school, you're going to be spending the rest of your time trying to find a job that gives you enough money to pay for all the debt that you incurred. So here's what we're going to do. We are going to back our support, not based on your credit, but your parents' credit. So... You're not even in the picture. We're concerned about how good your parents' credit is. That's what Christ says here in verse 9. Look here. Verse 9. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? He tells us to expect good things from God, not because you deserve it, but because God is good. Here in 9 through 11, the focus is not on the prayer, it's on the answerer of the prayer. And so he just uses this, parents are good to their kids. What parent, if his son asks him for bread, will give him something useless, a stone? Or what parent, if he asks him for fish, would give him something harmful? His point is this. Parents normally do not give their children what is useless or harmful. And you look at our world, and there is some amazing stories about parents. Yeah, I've read this past week. There was this lady who, while she was preparing to give birth to her first baby, uh, had the laptop on her stomach while in labor finishing a college exam. She cared for her child that much that while being in that amount of discomfort, she's taking a test. There was a dad whose daughter had a cochlear implant. It's this implant that helps kids hear. She was so insecure about the way that it looked that this dad shaved his head and got a tattoo of the cochlear implant on his head and his face so that his daughter wouldn't walk around being insecure. There was a story of a mom who a stove fire broke out and what she did She grabbed the stove or or grabbed the pot with her hand, ran outside, told her daughter to stay inside. She put it out, called 911, 
told her daughter to sit inside and not to come outside. And even when she talked to her daughter, she turned like this so that her daughter wouldn't see her arm. Later, her daughter finds out that her mom had third-degree burns from her fingertips to her elbows and used all of her strength to make sure she didn't cry in front of her daughter because she did not want her daughter to worry. All of those are exceptional stories about parents and we're right, gripped and we're inspired. And what God's saying here is that doesn't hold a candle to God as a parent. God's a better parent than you. God's a better parent than your parents were to you if you had great ones. To the confidence that we have that God will give nothing but good to people that humbly approach him is not rooted in our goodness, but God's. Do you know what that does? It helps us determine what the roadblock is when it comes to our prayerlessness. It's like a traffic jam, stuck in traffic, and you don't know what's the cause of it, and you find out it's just one car that stalled there. What he's saying here is this one car that stalled is your expectations of God's goodness and your thought of God as a father. So what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to fix that. And one way that we do it is this. We judge God's goodness not by what I want, but what he actually gives. That success in prayer is starting with the premise that God is good and anything that he gives me, anything and everything, I have to constantly be reminded that God does not give what is useless. He does not give what is harmful. Sickness that has sustained in your life, that you have been praying, pleading, asking for God to take away, and he has not, it's not useless. And it is not harmful to your soul. Cancer of a loved one, unbelief in the hearts of those that we love, that we long for them to experience the joy in God that it seems like they once had, the lack of getting what it was that we hoped for, God doesn't give what's useless, and he doesn't give what's harmful. I think what I'm trying to say is we do have to look backwards and be grateful for the yeses that God gives. Sometimes we're so forgetful. We pray for things, and God answers them, and we say thank you once, and then we move on. Have you ever seen somebody that just got into a relationship? What's sweet and annoying at the same time is they constantly find ways to celebrate things that went on. Today is the six-day anniversary of the first time that we held hands. Right? It's the six-week anniversary of the first time that you told me that I loved you. It's the six-month. What they do is there was one good event that took place, and at every opportunity that they can, they recycle it into the present so it shapes and reshapes their view of the person that did that good. One of the ways that we change our views of God is not by saying thank you once and moving on. It's taking those one acts, the things that he did, and recycling, bringing them back forward and forward and forward, constantly reminding ourselves of the fact that God is good. There is something worth remembering, and that past grace is meant to help us in our present grief. We got to remember the yeses. Here's another thing that we have to remember about the goodness of God. We have to look backwards and be reminded of the goodness of God's nose. Yeah. 
you remember praying, pleading, laying prostrate on the ground, fasting for that relationship. You remember praying for that job and not getting it and being angry and upset with God. You remember praying for that house, for that car, for that debt, for that child. And you can look back and see so many no's that were blessings. Maybe you're in the process right now and you say, John, that's all well and good, but I'm presently sitting in a no in the frustration of a no, and there is not a happy ending to it, or there's not one in sight. And I know that may be true in the past, but I'm sitting in a no, and I just don't know how it's going to turn out, and I can't thank God for this no. If you can't thank God for your no, thank him for somebody else's no. The relationships that we built, we Right, God makes us a part of a community so we can hear about how God has done that in the lives of other people whose stories have been finished and complete. If you say, well, John, I'm an introvert and I don't like people, right? If that's not enough for you, then I want you to look at God's grace in the most famous no. The Lord Jesus found himself in a garden. He was God's child, God's son. God had a very real obligation to him. To protect him, to love him, to give him good, to do good, like any parents do. In this garden, in order to pay for our sin, Jesus was on the eve of having to receive not good from God, but the cup of God's wrath. And so Jesus was praying, God, if there's any other way, let me not do this. I don't want to receive that bad from you. And he asked, and he sought, and he knocked. He was persistent. He put his disciples to sleep three times being so persistent. And the answer to that prayer was no. There is no other way. Jesus experienced that no, not just as a word, but as nails in his hands, spears in his sides, being cursed by the creation that he made, feeling forsaken completely by God. And he died. But his death was not the end of his story. He rose, and as he rose, he rose to proclaim to everybody that feels estranged from God, look, the goodness of being able to have God as a father, anybody can have that. If they would humbly approach God, ask, seek, not confess, God, I know that I'm not who you've called me to be because I've placed my expectations for other things in this world to satisfy me. I thought that the security was going to come in money. I thought that love and acceptance was going to come in a relationship, in a marriage, in children. I thought the affirmation was going to come in a promotion, and I saw how all of those things fell short. God, I prayed and I asked you to make those things work, but you're not a God that gives what's useless or what's harmful. And so you said no when it was at the bottom of the, that no that I was granted the gift of desperation. I was granted the gift of humility that I can come and approach God and say, Lord, I don't know what you want for me. I don't know the specifics, but I know that it's good. That's what we do as we pray. We ask God to save us, to change us, and everybody that starts off the journey and prays that prayer to be a part of God's family, do you know what they get? Forgiveness, grace, love, security, a status that can't be shaken. 
a future that can't be sabotaged. The bad that comes into our life will be used for good. And the worst will never happen because our destiny is secure, not because of our goodness, but because of God's. Nobody gets in without asking. But everybody that asks, everybody that calls on the name of the Lord gets in. And we come in through that front door so that we're reminded that everything else in the Christian life comes that same way. But God is a good father and is a good father who's rich. Um, He doesn't spoil his kids. I read an article this past week about uh, some of the richest men in the world. And what you'll find is folks like Bill Gates, Warren Buffett have said, although I am one of the richest men in the world, my children will not be. And, And so here's what he says. He says this, I intend to leave my kids enough to do anything but not enough to do nothing. And so what he's saying is, I want to leave them enough money and resources that anything they want to do, they can do, but not enough where they can just sit down and expect that it's all going to be done for them. That's what I love about this passage. It talks about this this expectation that we have of God, how we can come, ask, seek, knock. And then verse 12 gives us this, the golden rule. But it starts off with this word, therefore, which is meant to link this, not just to this prayer, but to all of what comes before. And he says this, therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. For this is the law and the prophets. His point is this. In the same way that I as a child inherited my dad's face, and my mom's smile. All of God's children inherit the features of their father. And so what that means is that if, if, if your expectations of God are really changed because of his goodness, people should be able to expect from you what you have come to expect from God. Here's why that's so important. Uh, Jesus is not the originator of the golden rule like this. There were countless people before Jesus, Greek scholars, Jewish scholars, people like Confucius, but they would always word it something like this. Whatever is hateful to you, make sure you don't do that to somebody else. Everybody's concept was negative and passive. So success is just avoiding doing bad to people. Think about what you wouldn't like done and don't do that to somebody else. Jesus is the first person to say this Positively, actively. It's not just not doing harm to people that are in the world and assuming that things will be better, but if we've really come to expect nothing but good coming from approaching God, then the way that we live, this is not an obligation, this is the outcome, this is what flows out of our lives, that people come to expect nothing but good from us. So as we interact with our, our kids, our friends, our spouses, and they make mistakes, they offend us, they make us angry, they disappoint us, it would be one thing to give folks what they deserve. That's what the rest of the world does. Good people... Don't give somebody what they deserve. God gives people what they do not deserve. 
He did it for us. Not only did he say, ask and you'll receive, but Ephesians 3 says this, look, God does exceedingly and abundantly more than what we would ask or think. Which one of us would ever think to ask God to give his only son for us? None of us. But God already tips the scale in our favors by providing the sacrifice for us. He does good and only good. And the mark of those of us that have really changed our expectations of who God is, if we really call him father, then our lives are spent making sure people experience of us what we have come to expect of God. That nothing but good comes from a humble approach. The key to getting the peace that comes from prayer, y'all, is not in a routine. It's not in guilt. It's not in saying we need to pray more as a church. It's in just reflecting on, do y'all know how good God has been to you? Do you know how good he's been to the people around you? Do you know how good he wants to be to you if you would only ask him to? We've come into the faith through that front door. My prayer is that the things that constantly cloud our minds and our hearts would come out of our mouths and that we would put God to the test and see if this is actually true. Jesus says that it's true. He rose from the dead. I'm putting my stock in with him. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you would convince us of your goodness. We pray that If we're skeptical here in this room, that you would at least make us skeptics with integrity. That as we're trying out other ways to change our lives, that you would help us to rest and rely on you completely Father I pray as we do that that we wouldn't just expect good from you but we would experience good from you we ask that you would do all this for us it's in Jesus name we pray Amen